this morning off with a, a word of prayer. Lord, thank you again for today. Thank you for this uh, body of believers. Thank you for the opportunity and the occasion we have to come and to learn. Pray that you would use this time to uh, to instruct us, to encourage us, and to build us up in our faith. And help us, Lord, to appreciate the the mighty and gracious things that you've done on on behalf of your people throughout history. Amen. All right. So if you remember back about two chapters ago, uh, when we looked at uh, really the the time of the apologists, uh, the time of guys like Justin Martyr uh, and and other early church fathers, uh, we commented that persecution really didn't happen on an empire-wide scale for, for a while. Um, just like uh, with Nero in the 60s, uh, when persecution did flare up, it tended to be very localized. It tended to be temporary. Uh, it tended to be isolated. And then it tended to blow over somewhat quickly. Uh, do you, does anybody remember the question that governors or rulers or magistrates would ask that would determine whether or not they start persecuting Christians? Not, not quite yet. Uh, the question is, is, is will persecuting Christians uh, appease the people? Remember, the Christians had a very unpopular uh, status uh, among the, the populace. And so uh, really, when persecution did happen, it was, it was asked, will it appease the people? Uh, and we, we get from the mouth of Tertullian... Um, that when, when anything bad happened, it was because of those pesky Christians. The, the pagan gods, they are so upset that the Christians are taking over the world, that they're going everywhere, they're evangelizing everywhere. They're not even, they're not even respecting common and cultural distinctions and boundaries like, uh, like ethnic boundaries, gender boundaries, cultural boundaries. Langu- I mean, these people are even going and learning other languages so that they can share their gospel. Can you imagine that? Well, the, the pagan gods are upset that they're losing all of their worshipers. And so when anything bad happened, uh, when, when the Tiber floods, it's because the gods are angry at the Christians. If the Nile fails to flood, it's because the gods are angry with the Christians. And so there was a common cry when anything bad happened, Christians to the lion. Um, another common saying was, there's no rain today because of the Christians. So, gradually, over, over the first two centuries, centuries gradually, uh, as Christianity spread, so too did persecution. It gradually became empire-wide. Um, and what's interesting is there were, uh, you're going to see in here, leading up to this point and all the way to the end of the third century, uh, persecution goes up, and then it, Justin, you want to come in? Okay, you know, persecution would come up and then it would go, it would rescind and there would be a time of peace and toleration and then it would go up and then it would come back down. And uh, there were, there were emperors that were tolerant. There were emperors that were intolerant. Um, If you remember that movie um, Gladiator, that kindly old grandfatherly emperor at the beginning uh, uh marcus aurelius he was actually one of the one of the most intolerant towards christianity so he's not that lovable guy in the movie um 
Okay, so what we're looking today is um, persecution, the, the first three major waves of persecution, the first two being under Emperor Decius and then Emperor Valerian. We're going to comment and touch on some of the, really some of the faiths or religions that uh, develop or, or gain some momentum. And then, uh, and then we're going to move on to the third wave, Diocletian. Um, and, and what we're going to see here is how these waves of persecution ultimately end up with a Christian professing or Christian claiming emperor sitting on the highest seat of government in the land. Okay, so uh, we're going to, I provided this graphic for you so that, you know, visuals are always good, right? So uh, I'm going to keep coming back to this so that you can see whether whether uh, it was a time of tolerance or a time of persecution. Uh, two notable uh, emperors who were relatively tolerant during this time were Alexander Severus and then Philip the Arab. Um, one of these guys, I think it was Philip the Arab, uh, actually commissioned uh, a bishop to reorganize the Roman library at the time. So um, imagine a Christian, imagine Mike Pence you know, being able to reorganize the Library of Congress. Um, shortly after Philip the Arab dies, we get a man by the name of Decius uh, absconding the throne or, or taking the throne. And he's going to be the first wave of empire-wide persecution. And if you remember a couple chapters ago, this is, uh, it's under this guy's persecution that Origen is captured and ultimately executed. He died, I think, in 254, but he's, uh, he suffers a lot of injuries during his uh, imprisonment. So Decius, uh, as I intimated earlier, Decius thinks all the problems in the world, all the natural catastrophes, um, the decline of the economy and unemployment and, and you know, everything that is wrong in life is because the, the Christians are everywhere, they're converting everybody to their faith, and the pagan gods are mad. Decius says it's those dirty, dirty Christians' fault. And so he's the first uh, who uh, enacts an empire-wide, backed by the state, backed by the Roman Empire, uh, empire-wide persecution of the church. Now, he's only only emperor for two years, but he gets the ball rolling. Uh, He he dies, and a couple years later... um, there's another emperor who takes the throne. And there's actually a, uh, one or two emperors between these guys. Uh, it's interesting to note that uh, sometimes it wasn't, uh, it wasn't nice and good to be the man on the top of the totem pole because everyone is, you, know, you don't get to the top without making, without making people wanting to pull you down so they can take your place. So some, some of these emperors only lasted six months, a few months, a year at most. Uh, a man by the name of Valerian in 253, he resumes persecuting the church. We're not, we don't really know what his motive was, but again, popular opinion was against Christians. So he renews the perse- persecution for about seven or eight years. So we see, we see life and times of Christianity going down, in, down into the depths of, of persecution from about 240 uh, 249 to about two. Well, Valerian goes. Uh, Valerian goes to 259. Now, Valerian is uh, captured by the Persians, and his son could care less what happens to him. 
His son doesn't try to rescue him or, or barter or negotiate to get him back. He leaves him to rot in a Persian prison. And, he, and uh, uh, his son be- becomes the emperor. And that, he really couldn't care less about Christianity. What this, guy, uh, what this guy wants to do is he wants to reintroduce the glorious Greek culture to the Roman Empire. And so for the next 40 years or so, uh, the empire largely leaves them at peace. Now, this isn't because the, the Roman Empire or, or this, this emperor uh, is pro-Christian or he's for Christian, but he he's actually has a lot of things on his plate at the time because the Goths uh, and the Germanic tribes are starting to harass the Roman Empire. Uh, they are ultimately going to be the reason for the fall of the Western Roman Empire in about 150 to about 200 years. Uh, Those Goths will be the the cause of the fall of the West. But they're already attacking Rome as early as um, 265, 270 or so. And the Roman Empire just, the Christians, uh, persecuting the Christians just takes a back plate. So there's a little, little bit of breathing room for the church for about 40, 45 years. You can see uh, there on the graph. And uh, we'll take this uh, opportunity just to look at some, uh, some other religions that are popping up this time before we get to Diocletian. The first one is sun worship. Ultimately, not crucial for us to know, but it is significant because uh, one significant feature of the, of the sun worship religion was that it was it showed that there was a being a there was a progression away from polytheism five points to who can define polytheism poly meaning many theism okay so remember uh, the the romans adopted the greek pantheon there there's a number of gods and you can worship anyone you want you can worship all of them if you want well, the, the empire, the official state religion of the empire is moving away from the many gods, and it's progressing towards this view that, it, that professes there is one over god or, or one supreme god at the top, and he was the sun god. Uh, and it's also significant just to know about this because there's a, uh, an emperor coming up who converted from sun worship. But that's really the only reason why we need to know about that. Uh, the uh, the big one is Neoplatonism. Now this is um, this is Platonism or Plato, uh, the the third rendition of Plato's philosophy. Uh, this is um, ironically comes from a guy named Plotinus. So I don't know who it's named after. If it's named after Plato or Plotinus, because they sound the same. But uh, Neoplatonism is important to know because it is the biggest threat. Uh, to the church, and at the same time is also a means for some Christian fathers, early church fathers, to come into the faith. Uh, Neoplatonism, uh, kind of, you remember the, when we looked at Plato, or Plate, uh, Platonism, remember how there's this uh, physical and matter, and the things that we see with the senses are bad, and the spiritual is good. So we don't really care what happens here in, uh, you know, in the earthly realm, in the, in the realm of matter and, and work and marriage and stuff like that. We don't care about that. All we care about is the spiritual. That's Platonism. 
what this guy does is he reinterprets uh, Plato and he creates a series of rings, a series of levels of reality. And now God, whatever, whatever God is to him, God is at the top. He calls God the one or the good. And underneath God, you have the mind. Um, and then underneath that, you have the soul. And then you, you keep going down these tiers, and eventually you get to nature, and then eventually you get to matter. So you still, it, it's like Platonism that you have spiritual things that are really good and really at the top, but you, and matter is all the way in the bottom. The, the difference is that there's these series of uh, realms, or uh, imagine um, uh, steps on a ladder that you have to go to to get to God at the top. And the way that you do that isn't through some secret, special um, uh, password like, like Gnosticism taught. You, are, uh, you basically get to the top through um, self-deprivation, through asceticism, through neglecting yourself, through fasting, through sleeping on, uh, on stone cots, through not eating that dirty meat. All these things that you do with your body, uh, you, you, that is how you get to the top, you get to God. It was also very mystical. It believed that there was this inherent connection that we have, you know, that your, your soul uh, secretly, uh, deeply wants to be restored to the one. So it, it was ascetic. It was also mystical. And they were very hostile to the Christian faith. The third one is Manichaeism. Uh, it was a form of Gnosticism. The guy who formed this, Mani, was a disciple of uh, Marcion. If you remember him from a couple weeks back. Uh, and this, uh, this guy interpreted reality as um, a dichotomy between you have, you have the light side and the dark side. And guess how you get to, you know, and, and we're all susceptible to both. And the way we get to the, to the light side, to the good side, is we, we um, expunge ourselves of the dark side. And we don't participate in the things of the dark side. Now, what does this sound like to you? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, when, when, I, when I was studying this, it sounds an awful lot like Star Wars. So, you know, all the things, imagine all the things, recall all the things, you Star Wars students, uh, uh, that um, you know, Yoda was telling uh, uh, Obi Wan and Anakin and Luke to do. It, it's the same kind of thing. You, you you say no to the things that that hinder the flesh in order to get to the spiritual. Um, marriage, eating meat, uh, a, a lot of fleshly things were just inherently bad. And, and you 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 uh, cleanse your darkness by by staying away from those things. That's that's essentially what asceticism is. Uh, and, and the reason why that's on the map is uh, St. Augustine, uh, a, a very important church father in about, um, in about, 75, about 100 years, uh, for, for about nine year, eight or nine years, he was uh, a student of Manichaeism. Other than that, we really don't care about this. Okay, so we looked at uh, Decius, we looked at Valerian the first two waves of Christian uh, persecution. The third wave comes from uh, an emperor by the name of Diocletian. 
Now, he's a political reformer, and he's going to make some changes to the empire that's going to affect, uh, affect things for the next 25, 35 years or so. He actually splits the empire into two divisions, east and west. You know, up until this time, he had one guy up at the top. He says, you know what, that's too much for us to rule effectively. The Goths are uh, really making life difficult for us. We need to strengthen our foundations. We need to manage and govern ourselves better. And we can do that by having two heads. Two heads are better than one, right? So he, he uh, splits the empire into two, and he appoints uh, another co-emperor in the West. And then he, does, he takes this a step further, and he appoints a vice president, um, not vice president, a vice uh, emperor uh, called the Caesar. Now, the, the guy on top, in both the East and the West, they're called the Augustus. And the reason why he calls it that is it's kind of a, uh, a hat tip or hat nod, whatever that phrase is, back to Emperor Augustus at, um, at the time Christ was born. Remember, he was the most glorious, illustrative, successful emperor ever. And so we're going to call the new top dog the Augustus. The guy um, just a rung down on the totem pole is going to be called a Caesar. And so there's going to be four total, an Augustus in the east, an Augustus in the west, a Caesar in the east, a Caesar in the west. And uh, so Diocletian is the, is the main emperor. He's the true emperor, but he's in the east. Maximian's in the west. You have Galerius under Diocletian in the east. And then you have Constanti- Constantius as the Caesar in the west. Now, does something in, in that name kind of ring a bell? Constantius? Yeah, the, you, you, see the, you see the common root word? That, that word's going to be constant for the next couple emperors, so remember that. I do what I can. Okay, so Diocletian seizes power in 284. And initially, he is tolerant of Christians. Uh, remember, again, the empire hasn't really... Had a, had a focus of persecuting Christians for 40, 45 years or so. And this is certainly not something that uh, is a passion for Diocletian. The problem is, is that his Caesar, his number two, Galerius, is vehemently anti-Christian. They are, they are the scourge of the world. They are the cause of all of our problems. So we need to persecute them. And as Diocletian becomes an old, old man... He, after he's been emperor for 15, 16, 17 years, Galerius keeps putting pressure on him to persecute the Christians. You appease the pagan gods, that will make life better. And so Diocletian starts off being tolerant. He ends his career being an uh, active persecutor of the church, mainly because of Galerius. Um, I already commented that he restructured, uh, he reformed the government structure. He was influenced by his VP. Now, in 303, um, he's been emperor for 18 years. He, cre- uh, he comes out with a series of four edicts. Then this is like a ruling or, or like a, a law. You know, you think of the, of the herald when he would say, hear ye, hear ye, thus saith the king. The first of these four edicts 
uh, anti-Christian edicts were that all church buildings were to be destroyed. You know, not just simply evacuated, but uh, dismantled, burned, destroyed, turned into park and uh, used car sales lots or used chariots sales lots. Uh, Bibles are, were to be collected and burnt and Christian worship strictly verboten. That was the first edict in 303. The second one, which came out the same year, was that all Christian clergy were to be arrested and imprisoned. Who can re- remember? Who can tell me what the three um, level or three offices of clergy were at, at this point? Yep. Thank you. So, if you are one of those three, you arrested, you taken to prison, you can't provide for your family, uh, and you're in trouble. The third edict, again, in the same year, all clergy, after they're arrested, must sacrifice to pagan gods. Remember, that, that's something that uh, Christians won't do, um, or be tortured. Now, in the following year, a fourth edict comes out, and the fact that, that he had to come out with this one tells me that the first three must not have been uh, ex- as successful as they were hoping. Because if they were, why would they, why would they come out with a fourth? The fourth edict is that it doesn't matter if you are a recognized bishop or, or any member of the clergy. Everybody in the empire, this is an empire-wide sweep. You know, get, get, we need to get those Christian cells out of here. All citizens must sacrifice to the pagan gods or be executed. And that's kind of that's drastic. Now, what, um, what happened is, is there were some Christians who willingly embraced martyrdom. Um, we we uh, recall Origen. We recall um, some other of the early church fathers who, who uh, welcomed the thought of being martyred. But many Christians actually were quite fearful of this. And so um, there, were, there were some that were uh, uh, arrested and imprisoned and ultimately executed, but there were a lot of Christians who either gave in and offered worship to the emperor, offered worship to the pagan gods, or they uh, bribed the officials to give them a, uh, a certificate saying they had done so when, in fact, they hadn't. So there are many, many, many Christians who did that. And uh, this is going to lead to a, a controversy in a few, uh, in a few years um, called the Donatus Controversy. But we'll get to that later. Now, um, uh, what's the guy's name? Diocletian, thank you. So Diocletian... Um, contrary to most emperors, Diocletian said at the beginning, I only want to rule for 20 years. Remember, this, this is at a period where some of these emperors are only on the, sitting on the Roman throne for six months, a year at most. And so he says, you know, after a set amount of time, I'm going to resign. I've, ha- I've had my time in the limelight. I'm good. Um, and he, uh, he appoints this policy where the, the, the VP, the Caesar underneath him, he will become the new top dog. At that point, the, the new top dog appoints a new Caesar. And guess what happens when that Augustus passes on? His, his VP will become the P, and he'll assign a new VP. And he's hoping that, that this new uh, rotation plan 
uh, this progression and, and rotation of leaders will help keep the empire strong. And it actually works for a long time. You know, it's not the, uh, the, the Roman Empire would last for another thousand years until the Holy Roman Empire is, is considered destroyed. When you look throughout history, you don't have many nations, you don't have many uh, empires lasting anywhere near that long. So you see, uh, per, uh, it was a relative time of, of tolerance at the beginning of Diocletian's reign, but then by the end of his life, through the through the tankard. Okay, so Galerius, he was Diocletian's VP, uh, vehemently anti-Christian. He takes over. He continues persecution for most of his life until the until the eleventh hour of his life. He gets deathly ill. And all of a sudden, he stops persecutions, and he turns to the Christians, and he says, Hey, sorry about all that stuff that I've been doing to, you, to your people for so long. I've heard that your God can heal people. Would you pray for me? So um, he does that in his, last, in his last year. He does die soon thereafter. We know nothing if he was genuinely converted or not. So we see uh, tolerance going way up in the span of one year. And as I said earlier, there, there, uh, between many of these emperors uh, that, are, that are on the map, there were several that um, their reign was so quick and so unimpactful, it's not even worth noting them. Okay, so in 305, we have uh, a new Caesar... Uh, uh, we saw that um, Constantius was a Caesar. So Constantius uh, had a son named Constantine. Now, when Constantius dies, um, he appoints, uh, he, he had another man in line to be the Caesar. Constant, uh, Constantius dies, and the, and the army says, no, we want Constantine to be the new Caesar. Remember, Constantine was originally a sun worshiper, so he is he is already primed to to uh, uh, to endorse and accept monotheism. Now, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of pros and cons about Constantine himself. He's going to be he's a very produ- provocative figure. Um, he was very generous with his wealth uh, in terms of. Um, um, Shall we say his uh, marital relations? He was very pure compared to most politicians of his day. Uh, he was very generous. He was very um, ethical. So he had so he had some uh, very good pros, but at the same time, he was also known to be quite vain. Uh, uh, he became tyrannical the the longer he was uh, emperor, to the point that la- later on in his life, uh, at a mere accusation that his son tried to uh, do some. Um, Forno caboodulating behind his back, he just orders his son to be executed without trial. So there's a lot of pros and cons about Constantine. He's a very um, controversial subject. At the end of the day, I I choose not to make a comment if I believe he was genuinely converted or not. But in uh, 305, he has this vision. Um, He, he, uh, remember, Paulus... uh, the army wants to make him the new Caesar. However, his father had appointed this other guy to be, um, I think it was Maximian or Maxentius. 
policy says this, uh, this other guy is supposed to replace Constantius. And so you have the guy that the army wants and the guy that the, that the uh, policy says is supposed to be the next guy. So what happens when you have two, two rivals competing to be top dog? What happens? Yeah. So they, go, they, they, they fight each other. It, you know, it's kind of like um, Roche, um, Battle of Thumbs but with swords and spikes and, and, and spears. So um, this is when he has this vision, if you've heard of it. He has a vision where, um, and it's really vague. We don't know if it was a dream. We don't know if he imagined it. But he, he sees in the clouds, um, the, uh, you see that little, see that um, cross thingy? Well, it looks like a pirate sword thing. That is called the key row. In Greek, it's the letter uh, uh, which basically stands for Christ, you know, the C-H. So he sees that in the heavens. And he hears this voice, or he, or he sees the words, where it's very vague, but he says, he, he, he gets this sign or a vision, by this sign you will conquer. So he, uh, he sees that as a sign from, from God. He uh, uh, paints that sign and that symbol on the shields of all of his troops, and he massively, uh, he achieves a massive victory the following day. And so by this, uh, after this occasion, he sees himself as the champion and the protector of the Christian faith and the Christian body. Now, file that away in your minds, because who, who does Scripture say is the champion and protector and preserver of the church? Okay, so do you think that there could be a conflict if, if, a, if a government official sees himself as that role? Okay, so file that away because that, that's going to cause problems down the road. So he becomes, he becomes the top dog in, in, the, in the West. And uh, he creates a, um, he meets with the top dog in the East in 311. And they form a pact, uh, a, a peace pact, a peace treaty that allows all religions, uh, Roman paganism, um, Neoplatonism, Manichaeism, and, and especially Christianity, all religions are now tolerable. Up to this point, uh, Rome had a list of faiths and religions that were illicit, that were licit or legal and illicit or illegal. Well, Constantine's treaty with this guy in the East makes all religions um, an option. And so Christian um, persecution stops as of 311, and, uh, and Constantine is enjoying this um, treaty with this guy, in, with the top dog in the east called Licinius. Now, this is comical, and I wish Eric was here because he, uh, Eric Carlson loves this part of, 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 the, of history. So you have Constantine being the, the, uh, the guy in the west. What, what faith is he proclaiming? Christian, okay. You have Licinius in the east. He's, he's pagan. He's, he's as pagan as pagan gets. Uh, and, and he doesn't care about the Christians. Well, over time, he starts to become um, uh, paranoid and suspicious that the Christians on his side of the empire in the east, well, they, they, they secretly want to, um, you know, they want Constantine to be their emperor. You know they're they're gonna they're gonna form a coup. They're gonna form riots. They're gonna form a rebellion, and they're gonna they're gonna bring Constantine in and kick me out. 
So guess what he does? He starts persecuting Christians to, to, to try to quell any potential rebellion. Guess, well, and, and so if the Christians weren't um, asking or pleading or hoping for Constantine to come in before, they are now. And so Constantine, there, there's no evidence that he was looking on the eastern half of the empire. There's no evidence he was looking for an excuse to come in and save the Christians. But Licinius, because of his paranoia, gives Constantine the excuse to come in, uh, fight him, and remove him, making him the sole ruler of the eastern and western halves of the empire. So that is how, through a series of persecutions, you get a Christian Christian emperor sitting on the Roman throne. So you see toleration going way up. Constantine, uh, he would be he would be the um, Augustus of the West for five years. No, he'd be the Caesar of the West for five years, from three hundred five to three ten, three eleven. He would be the Augustus, the the top dog of the West from three eleven to three twenty three or three twenty four. Three twenty four is when he, um, he goes and kicks Licinius out of the east, becomes the sole ruler of the empire in 324, and then he dies in 361. I, I could be off on that number. He, he dies around, three, um, I, I remember Julian the Apostate is emperor around that time. Uh, it, might be, it might be sooner, but... Um, Uh, more like thirty-five to forty. I, I, I think it was. Be- I think it was before three. I think it was in the two in the three fifties. I think so. I don't have that. I don't have that number uh, on hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, he's emperor for a while. He's emperor for a while. So because of um, Diocletian's uh, restructure of power in the government, you could, have, you could have a guy in the West being tolerant. You could have a guy in the East being intolerant. You could have the guy on top being tolerant. You could have the guy in the bottom being intolerant. And it caused just this, um, this web of, uh, uh, where there was varying tolerance, varying persecution uh, at the same time throughout the empire. And I already commented on that. All right, any, uh, any questions?